You're listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Media on the Radio is a podcast that features conversations with media professionals. Everyone from creators of media to those who do the marketing and distribution. All I know is that this developer creates magic with his magic wizard skills. And if you want to change that button to make it blue, they have no idea if that's a five day or a five second change. Today on the show, we have Greg Nicholas, who's part of a startup called Conversant Labs in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The team at Conversant Labs just released an application called Yes Chef, which is a hands-free cooking app. The app, basically, it's interactive. It talks, you can talk to it and ask it for uh, the directions. It's geared towards blind users, but really it's for anyone, you know, cooking and making bread and having their fingers stuck in dough. So you can actually talk to it and it will tell you what the next step is in, in the recipe. So here it is my conversation with Conversant Labs team member, Greg Nicholas. Greg, so if you can just start, I know you actually went to the University of Pittsburgh um, for your undergrad, and I believe you went, um, got your master's degree. I usually say in Rhode Island, I don't want to say, oh, Brown, but yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was a Brown in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and um, went to pursue a uh, PhD, actually, in computer science, especially in artificial intelligence. Yeah, it didn't go that great, actually. <laughs> I went there, and uh, my advisor left school, basically, during my orientation week, actually. I got to the school, and I just moved in. I was literally unpacking boxes when uh, I got an email from my person who was supposed to be my advisor who had said that he was going to work at Google. Uh, so I was sort of just, like, adrift uh, in grad school for a little while, and I was bouncing around, thinking about different areas I wanted to research, and um, yeah, it just kind of never came together. I mean, I was, honestly, I was a little lost and could have probably been pretty strong advising in the first place, so the uh, fact that I had no advisor really set me back even further than I was. You know, I think master's degrees and programs that you go for your master's is is heavily dependent on the program and the, the staff, and some people go to a specific school because of one staff member. Is that was that the case with you, and that's why it was kind of you were kind of felt like you were floating when you went to Brown. Well, so if I was going for my directly for my master's, um, the faculty doesn't matter nearly as much, or at least it wouldn't have mattered nearly as much for me. I don't think because um, with a master's, you know, you're just going to sort of get bachelor's plus, learn a little more applied stuff, maybe do some research, but it's pretty short term. Um, for a PhD, though, you definitely almost definitely want to go somewhere uh, with an idea of what you would like to research and what kind of uh, professors you'd like to work with. Uh, so it's very much you You don't really pick the school to go to if you're applying for a PhD, at least, at least in my field. Uh, you sort of pick the professor you'd like to work with. Yeah, so I mean, you know, leaving, you know, having a master's in computer science, um, it's not hard to really break into just generally software development. Um, you know, you're pretty much exactly who they're looking for. So started my first job with that, and it was just a normal office job. And it kind of sucked. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, you know, necessarily burn any bridges or anything like that, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a great fit for me. Uh, there just wasn't much tolerance for being social with each other. So it was a, it was a very odd fit, especially, especially given that most of the people who worked at the company were 
you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, you would, you would have thought it would be a much more open and uh, congenial place. It's interesting because this theme comes up a lot where um, talking about working in different um, capacities and different jobs is that, you know, you can be a hard worker or really talented or a fun person to be around. And it's kind of hard to have all three of those. Um, but um, it's interesting because this is something an area I wanted to get into, too, because I feel like you have the technical abilities to do your job, but you all, you are a very social person. It's somewhat rare in kind of any industry, but it, I'm sure it's it's even kind of a little bit more rare in in your industry to have kind of the expertise and um, bringing kind of those other things to the table. Yeah, if you, you mentioned Silicon Valley, the show, um, <laughs> you know, we're not all a character from that show, you know, right. <laughs> where everybody just sort of has one ladder to work. Yeah, I think you could, if you take the average, uh, you know, person with a business degree versus the average person with a computer science degree, you're going to find a, a different level of sociability, I guess. Software development is a very literal thing, and I'm not, I'm not claiming I'm very good at it, but it's really quite hard to communicate the technical skills to uh, a not-technical audience. Um, that's just very challenging to do because you want to get lost in the weeds because the weeds are actually quite important in how everything works, but if you get lost in the weeds, then the per- it's going to go way over the person's head. So there's a really delicate balance there that uh, I'm definitely still learning. It's an app made of magic. <laughs> an app made of magic. That's funny, actually. I was just listening to a podcast a couple days ago um, where they were talking about uh, that the non-software developers in the company think that software developers are wizards, right? They, they have no idea how, you know, they just have no idea how any of this works. And they, but the problem with that is that they have absolutely no idea what's reasonable and what's unreasonable to ask. So all they know is that this thing this developer creates magic with his magic wizard skills. And if you want to change that button to make it blue, they have no idea if that's a five-day or a five-second change. Um, so it can result in a lot of miscommunication, especially in a company where you have technical and non-technical people needing to interact with each other. They have different assumptions. That's true in video and, and a lot of other, especially graphic design and motion graphics and you know any type of animation stuff because... There is, like you said, there are things that are really simple, and especially if you build it properly, it's really simple to fix, and sometimes it's a complete redo Mm -hmm, (laughs) in some mm -hmm. cases. And getting into that, a lot of the people, hopefully, that listen to the show are in some way working as a freelancer in some capacity, and I know you've done freelance um, in the past as well. Um, And what I find, too, and I'm sure this is kind of true for you as well, is when you first start off, either you're starting on simple projects or you're kind of approaching them in a simple way because you kind of don't know necessarily the complexity of it. Mm -hmm. And budgets tend to just keep growing and growing in size, even for kind of doing a very similar project that you did when you first started, maybe in college. Um, The budgets tend to just grow because of the complexity or because of the functionality that you're going after. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the work that you've done in freelance and kind of explaining some of that type of stuff to maybe clients that you've worked with and how or how you approach that? So when I first started with freelance, um, I was really bad at it. And I mean, everyone's really bad at it. Every single freelancer, software developer, and I'm sure you know, the video production and, and other fields where you know what the end product should look like, but you've never made that product before, that specific product before. 
So how are you supposed to estimate it, right? That's sort of the, the big thing. Like, we are making things that have never been made before. So how do you estimate that? And it's really, really hard. And I, honestly, I did freelance for maybe off and on for three to four years. Yeah, it's taken a long time to get decent at estimating my time and at being very formal about specifications and not overpromising. I mean, it's so incredibly easy to overpromise things and to uh, underestimate time. It's I'm still not great at it, uh, but I'm better than I was five years ago. So that's that's something. Well, it's funny. I'm I'm typically optimistic. It depends too. If you're an optimistic person, you mm-hmm. can you can that can skew it as well. So, oh yeah, absolutely. That's huge. You did that. So it's, I will. I, I wonder about a pessimist. Uh, if you had an optimistic versus a pessimist freelancer, exactly how different their estimates would be. I imagine the pessimist would be so much more practical about it. So what what I've done in terms of precautions is just whatever I think is more than I think I need, I add an extra percentage to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, like the general idea or the general rule of thumb in software development community is basically your estimate time three is how long it's going to take. And it's just impossible for me to conceptualize that sometimes. When I, I look at this problem and I say, okay, this will take, you know, it's take me two days. And then I think to myself, now I'm supposed to multiply that by three, right? And the conception that this will take more than a week is just absurd. But it always does, you know? <laughs> it always does. And, you know, even, uh, even after, I've been doing this for a while now and I still cannot believe that the times three rule was correct, and it, it still is. Like a, a Hollywood movie is two hundred million dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. The older I get, the more I understand what that where that money goes and what that sure, number actually sure. means. So it, it becomes smaller in a sense because it, you you at least understand where that money is coming in and where it's being spent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's the worst part about that is that you know if you underestimate your job um, or you know you have a boss expecting an estimate that's that's one thing where it's, it, it'll get you in trouble um, if you do it free, reliably enough. Um, but it's also sort of your boss or you know, your project manager's job to sort of rein you in with those things and, and help you get better at that. But if you're freelance, I mean, the one who pays the price is 100% you. Maybe the client if you, you know, really screw it up. But re- realistically, if you, you know, care about making your client happy, you're going to pay for that because you're going to skip, you know, going on a trip that weekend or you're going to, you're going to not sleep at all and you're going to totally ignore your significant other and make them very angry at you for a month. But you know, that deadline's approaching. So that's the toughest thing. That was definitely the toughest thing when I was doing all freelance. It's just, I mean, I just didn't have any fun. Uh, it was flexible. Um, but I wasn't good enough at the estimating thing and I wasn't disciplined enough, um, with constraining my hours to like a normal work day to, uh, and because of that, I was, basically just not really having any fun in my life. <laughs> it's kind of a kind of a sad story now that I think back on it. <laughs> uh, you know, if I if every once in a while I do pick up a freelance gig here and there, uh, and I create, you know, a huge amount of space around me and I constrain my hours pretty regularly to, you know, a normal nine to five type type thing. So it's very rare now, as my wife will hopefully agree with me that it's super rare now that I uh, am, you know, pounding away at the keyboard after dinner. Uh, or on weekends at all. So, you know, it gets better. You just have to be disciplined about it. Cool. And hopefully, you know, with with more skills and more experience, you can hopefully get paid more to then make the time more worth it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely something to be said about 
just, you know, getting your lumps in uh, when you start out. Like, it's probably going to suck because you're going to suck at estimating. You're not going to make as much money. Uh, yeah, it's just going to suck at first. Um, it was kind of funny. What I saw was a cross-section, if you looked at it on a, on a graph, of my skills in not, not only just estimating time and money, but, like, literally getting faster at what, I, what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, the, the, the money didn't necessarily change how much I was bidding and all of that. It was my speed. So I was able to yeah. accomplish something that took me two days in two hours. Yep. So that is how then you're able to increase your, your income. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Efficiency gains are, are a wonderful uh, side effect of experience, you know, right. especially when you're a freelancer. Cool. So I want to get into before we run out of time. I want to get into your where you're currently at and what's going mm-hmm. on. And and if you can start with kind of the narrative of of how your current are you do you call it a startup or yeah you, you can call us a startup. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely a startup. Um, yeah, we're a startup company. Um, I don't know exactly what the official textbook definition of a startup company is, but you know we're a company in very early stages of getting funding. Um, we have some funding, but we you know, there's, there's lots of terminology, Series A, Series B, seed round, all that stuff. We are, you know, early on in that process. So we're not a real company. We're just a little startup company. Gotcha. So can you tell, talk about the story of your, your partners and kind of what you're working on? Yeah. So, so the company, I don't think I've said it yet, is called Conversant Labs. Um, that's like con- Conversant, like conversation. And what we do is we... Uh, basically create uh, conversational experiences uh, in technology. Yeah, so like a quick example, and we can talk more detail about it later, but right now the, the app that we're gearing up to release is a cooking app uh, for the iPhone and uh, iPad. And uh, it basically is a uh, conversational cooking app where you can be totally hands-free and just talk to it and ask it to find you a recipe and ask it how... Uh, how to prepare the recipe, what ingredients you need, uh, things like that. So it can be a totally hands-off, eyes-off experience while you're uh, to be sort of your assistant uh, in the kitchen. Why the focus on kind of hands-free and the conversational ap- application? The, the founder of the company, uh, his name's Chris Mori, uh, and he is a, he's a guy who he was, he was uh, living out in Silicon Valley uh, working as doing some project management for some startup companies out there. And he was diagnosed with a degenerative um, eye condition where he's losing his vision. Basically, over the course of 10 years, his vision will be degrading to the point where he'll have no central vision. So he'll still have peripheral, uh, but nothing uh, centrally. So it's kind of like taking like a, your fist right in front of your eye. Like you can kind of see around a little bit, but you can't read or... Uh, you know, see faces very well, things like that. And so he uh, started looking into those tools that he could use, and there's really one main tool that uh, blind people are uh, used typically to interact with the computers and their smartphones, and it's called a screen reader. And what a screen reader does is it basically takes what's on the screen and reads it to you in a very linear fashion. So it starts up at the top left corner of the screen, and it reads you everything. You know, if you're trying to book a, a flight, right? You, you go to like kayak.com or something like that. And for a visual user, you have like all these crazy widgets on the left hand of the screen. You have on the top of the top of the web browser, you have um, 
all these links for like hotels or uh, flights, things like that. And then what a screen reader will do is it'll start in the top left corner and it will read everything on the page. But really what you want to do there is is just book a flight. So you really just want to be able to say something like, you know, find me a flight uh, from you know Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C. next Friday. Chris was thinking about why can't we just cut out the middleman, uh, cut out the visual part of it? Why can't we just take this data, this service, kayak, for, in this example, why can't we just take what well, kayak.com knows about booking flights and just present that directly as audio? Um, and so that's kind of the path that he started. But I see it also being a huge change in even, you know, not, not just for blind users, but people driving could book a flight for next week or other people could potentially use the technology. Is there, are there apps out there that are, are there apps that you have that are coming out or something that you're about to release that you can talk about? Yeah, so our cooking app, uh, it's called Yes Chef. It's going to be available in the uh, iOS and iOS app store um, in mid-July. So maybe by the time this is posted, uh, it'll be it'll be up there. And yeah, it's it's, it's useful not just for blind users, and that's what that's really kind of our angle here. That we're not just an accessibility company; we're not just something for blind users. We're creating experiences that people with vision might be interested in as well. So we're sort of taking on these these activities, such as cooking, where it'd be super useful to not have to have this thing in your hand or this iPad on your kitchen counter that you're going to cover in flour and eggs and things like that. So it's very useful for not just blind users, but sighted users uh, who Last question, do you have any advice for anyone that wants to do the type of the work that you do? Maybe they're in college, maybe not. Um, what would you say about kind of the day-to-day and, and or any advice you have? Yeah, I mean, specifically about like freelancing or about software development? Software development. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not really a huge secret. It's not a particularly small cottage industry. Um, you know, you just you get your education and uh, you just make stuff. I mean... Honestly, I mean, you know, a lot of the fam- most famous stories of some of the big founders of companies are all about, you know, dropping out of college and making stuff. And, I, like, I don't recommend dropping out of college necessarily, but, you know, you just, you got to do more than, you know, take your classes and then have your class projects, you know, doing open source projects. Um, uh, just getting involved with, there's a lot, there's just so much going on that you can just, you know, lend a couple hours to these big projects. You can just lend a couple hours to. Uh, a week and get experience with it, and you know the best, the better your portfolio is, the much better your your uh, prospects are. The really cool thing about software development, which is what brought me into the industry in the first place, is that you can create. I mean, this is gets back to the wizard analogy. Like, you can create whatever you want with just a totally blank canvas. Um, anything a computer can do, you can make it do for the most part. Um, so it's super fun to make stuff. Uh, and there's really no reason not to. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate yeah, your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Media on the Radio is reported at Arlington Independent Media. For more information, visit arlingtonmedia.org. Please subscribe on iTunes to Media on the Radio, where each week it'll send the podcast directly to your phone. You don't have to do anything. It'll just send it right to you. It's so easy. You can go to waitwhatpro.com to find past episodes of Media on the Radio. This is Devin Gallagher, host of Media on the Radio, and thanks for listening.